This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. That's great. Let's pray. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as we come to the scriptures this morning, Spirit, would you enlighten our minds, give us keen minds, help us understand what you're saying. Point us to Jesus that we might see Jesus. We believe if we see Jesus, we'll be changed. So help us see him this morning. Father, may you be exalted in our time, we pray. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. First Peter chapter three, starting in verse one. You can turn there with me. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one over without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see a respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, in God's sight, very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Verse 7. Likewise, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I don't know if you can see my knees shaking from where you're sitting, (laughs) but I assure you, they are. Irrelevant, archaic, and oppressive. Three words I've heard used to describe the scriptures. And in many ways, words used to describe this very passage. I mean, what are we, are we living in the dark ages? Women is the weaker vessel, quiet, gentle, Submit to your husbands. Is this the way that God intended for it to be all time? Or is this a cultural mandate? And if so, how do we sort through it? I think you'd probably agree that there's a lot of implications that go around with the way that we interpret, preach, and talk about this passage today. But one of the things that's absolutely true, and you'll see right in the passage, is that Peter points out that men have a tendency to be demanding, both sexually and emotionally, and inconsiderate. And that women have a tendency to desire compliments for their appearance, to draw value from the way that they look. So, even if we want to say, Peter, you're way off base. We have to at least admit that some of this 2,000-year-old ancient instruction is timeless, do we not? Men as domineering and potentially demanding, women as wanting to find their source of value in their external beauty, and we go, well, haven't we moved beyond that? (laughs) No. No, we haven't. 
the beginning of the week, I was terrified to preach this passage of scripture. (laughs) And I couldn't be more excited about it today. Because here's what I've seen. Here's what I've seen. Is that the original hearers of 1 Peter chapter 3 would have heard something very different than you heard and probably had some sort of visceral response to. In fact, they would have heard maybe, maybe the exact opposite from what you heard. You see, for the original hearers, this passage would have been heroically liberating for wives. Heroically liberating for wives and uncompromisingly challenging for husbands. Which is why, which is why, which is why. The majority of early converts to Christianity were women, were women, because they didn't hear a message that was putting them down. On the contrary, they heard a message that was elevating them to unparalleled heights in the culture at the time. They heard a message that was liberating. They heard a message that was their freedom, and men heard a message that was challenging and difficult and hard and completely contrary to the cultural voice that was prevalent. See, we hear it differently, but my goal, and if you'll go with me for the next 35 minutes or so, my goal is to say, God, help us hear this fresh this morning. You with me? God, both of you are. Um, God, help us. Help us hear this in a fresh way this morning, that we might live in the way of Jesus, that we might embrace his DNA, and that it might flow through every fiber of our being. Ready to hear from the scriptures? First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 is where this thought that Peter shares in chapter 3 originates. Verse 11, and here's the way The apostle Peter puts it for us. He says this, beloved. Now, just a quick side note. If if you underline, highlight, star things in your Bible, circle this word, star this word, because this is the part of the identity piece that Peter wants to begin with. Unless you know who you are, you'll never know how to live. And so he wants to remind you, you are loved. You're a child of the most high king. Can I get an amen? Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, people who uh, this world is not their home, no place to lay their head. They're wanderers, quite literally sojourners, wanderers. They didn't have power. They didn't have prestige. They didn't have legislation backing them. They were exiles. To abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Now, don't you love that the scriptures are ruthlessly honest? (laughs) When you become a follower of Jesus, everything doesn't just get easy, does it? You can say amen to that if you want. Doesn't just get easy. In fact, welcome to the war. So scriptures teach that now there's this war that wages between the flesh and the spirit. And so he says, keep your conduct, verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles or pagans, some translations will say, honorable, people who don't know Jesus. Live in such a way that's honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, and they undoubtedly will, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, See, the life that you live points people to the God that you follow. 
The life that you live points people to the God that you follow. It has the potential, it has the energy behind it to say, back to a watching world, the way that I live is a reflection of the God that I love. And so Peter says, even though you don't have the power, and even though you don't have the office, and even though you don't have the letters behind or in front of your name, you are exiles, you still have the ability to influence You still have the ability to change the people around you, the culture you live in. You still have the ability to make a difference, not even necessarily because of the words that you say, but the life that you live has a power and a cadence and a song behind it. What's your life singing? That's what Peter wants to ask. So he gives two examples. We talked about them last week. One of them, if you want your life to glorify God, the good deeds that you do, the way that you live, and remember, this is all an outflow of the gospel this is not works-based religion. In case you're, it's your first time with us um, here today, uh, we need to say that this is an outflow of chapters one and two where Peter clearly says, you've been born again because of the great mercy of God. That's awesome. Therefore, your life should have a certain look to it, a certain value to it your good deeds, and then glorify God on the day of his visitation. So last week, Peter said, uh, or he said this 2,000 years ago, but last week we said, (laughs) Peter's instruction to the church is to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution to live well under the government that you've been placed under. We said that word subject is sort of, and I had an umbrella with me last week, but it literally means to, to live under. So the opposite of Being subject or being submissive is not to be in rebellion so much as it is to be outside of or to be separate from. So Peter says, hey, 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 I know you're a Christian and I know you are a, quote, royal priesthood, but don't use your freedom to separate. Use your freedom to influence and the only influence you'll ever have is from within, not from without. So don't leave the place and the time and the situation you find yourself in. Stay and live as a follower of Jesus under it. He goes on to say, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect in verse 18. So the way that you work and interact with your boss is going to display the hope of the gospel. And what he goes on to say here is that we change, we impact the people we're around not by being entitled, but by enduring, even when situations don't flesh out the way that we hoped it would. I got a number of tweets from millennials who didn't like that, but that's just, sorry, just kidding. Just kidding, guys, I'm one of you, I love you. (laughs) Verse one of chapter three, likewise, wives. Verse seven, likewise, husbands. So he's taking this idea of the way that you live has an ability to influence the people around you, and he's gonna roll it right over into marriage. Notice what he did. He started wide. The society that you're in, live in such a way that reflects the gospel. The job that you work, live in such a way that reflects the gospel. The marriage that you're in, live in such a way that reflects the gospel. Why? Because a flourishing and a healthy marriage has the ability to point people to your glorious God. 
has the ability to point people to your glorious God. Uh, one of my favorite uh, pastors and authors, Tim Keller, said it like this. In describing marriage in his wonderful book, The Meaning of Marriage, he says this. He says, the purpose of marriage is not happiness. The purpose of marriage is not like it was in the first century, procreation and to have a, a household. Uh, that's not the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage at its very core is gospel reenactment. How awesome is that? that we put on display in the lives that we live, in the marriages that we have, this is our great God. Wow, wow. The marriage that I have with my wife, the marriage that you have if you're married, and if you're not, I'm glad that you're here this morning. Take notes, you might be married someday, but these are applicable points in any relational situation that you find yourself in. It was fascinating because I read a little bit about the culture that Peter's writing to, but I didn't read it in the scriptures. I had to go to these sort of extra sources. And what I found was that we didn't exactly, they didn't exactly have this like very moral upheld view of marriage. In fact, just the contrary. But Peter doesn't talk about that. It's as though Peter believes that you don't change the culture by attacking the culture. It's as though Peter had this conviction that the way that you change the culture is from the inside out. The way that you change the culture is on a, on a micro level, not a macro level. The way you change marriage in a really messed up cultural marriage view that they had is not by preaching against the culture's view of marriage. It's about creating a better one. I've said it before, I'll say it again. You don't change culture by trying to change culture. You change culture by creating a better one. It's exactly what Peter wants to do. And I will point out that he was 100% effective. Within 200 years, the Roman Empire was transformed. Maybe, just maybe, will you look up at me for just a second? Maybe, just maybe, God has something to say to us about the influence that we can have through having healthy, flourishing marriages and relationships in general that they might point back to our great God. Verse one of chapter three, let's jump in to see specifically what Peter instructs husbands and wives to do. Likewise, wives be subject, or in the Greek, it's the word hupotasso, which literally means to remain under your own husband. So that even if that some do not obey the word, they might be won over without a word by the conduct of their wives. Now, so contextually, if you are a female and a wife and you become a follower of Jesus in this culture that Peter's writing to, and your husband is not yet a follower of Jesus, it would have been insulting to go against the household religion. So Peter's giving some really practical advice, some practical instruction. Instead of coming back to the house and saying, listen, I met Jesus and now you need to come to know Jesus too or else I'm out of here. He says, no, 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 that's not the way influence is had. Stay, remain, love, respect. And in so doing, some of your husbands, they might be won over without even a word because of the life that you live. Now, for some of the people in this room, I know this grates on everything it means to be an independent, strong 
person, but Peter's speaking extremely practical, extremely practical, to a group of people, to women in this culture that he's writing to who were unable to have inheritance in a large part, which very much limited their ability to acquire wealth and have any sort of independence, to women whose choice in relationship was extremely limited because of arranged marriages, oftentimes married off at a very young age, Their ability to pursue education and even religious education was limited to say it best, sometimes completely non-existent. So when he says they might be won over, you can see that a woman's heart would start to soar. What? I can have influence? I can matter? My voice can be heard? Yes, yes. In the first century, women heard this and they go, my life can have influence, maybe for the very first time, which is why women flocked to the early church and precisely why Peter says, don't leave, don't leave. Remain, remain and love your husband. Remain and respect your husband. Remain and the life that you live very well may point him to the God that you love. I love the way that Wolfgang Scarge puts it when he says this. He says, Peter expects missionary success from the Christian life. Lived in the power of the word and representing its reality. Catch this though. Not with a zeal for conversion, but in the knowledge that one's life is a form of proclamation which can affirm or deny the authenticity of the gospel. See, here's your your message is both in word and in deed. It's sort of like a song, that there's lyrics to a song, but if you just read the lyrics through, you don't get the full picture of what's being expressed. There's a melody to a song, but if you listen to it without the lyrics, you don't really catch what the authorial intent is. But if you bring those together, if you bring the words and the tune and the melody together, sometimes it just explodes, doesn't it? Peter goes, that. that's, that's the way it's intended to be in marriage. So the instruction to wives is simply this, wives, Live confidently, and we'll get there, under Jesus and respectfully towards your husband. Now, I know it's dangerous to give wives and women advice, but this is what I'm teaching. We're just teaching right through the book of First Peter. Now, notice, please, it does not say women be subject to men. Thought I'd get an amen there. Let's try again. It doesn't, notice, it doesn't say women be subject to men. It says wives be subject to husbands. Wives be subject to husbands. Live confidently under them and respectfully towards them. Here's the way that Paul's gonna say it to the church in Ephesus. He, He says the exact same thing. It's really interesting. However, let each one of you, and he's speaking to men here, what do you, say it with me, guys. Love his wife as himself. That's a pretty high calling, is it not? And let the wife see that she, what? Respects her husband. This is the cadence. This is the picture that's painted. And Peter goes down in verses five and six of this text and says, listen, look at Sarah as an example. She obeyed Abraham. When Abraham said, hey, let's leave the place that we've set up home. Let's leave and follow God. God's calling us out. And Sarah says, Abraham, Father Abe, I'm with you, man. 
I'm with you. Let's go. Let's go. That's what Peter's saying. What Peter is not saying, and please hear me. I'm going to say this as clearly as I can. Peter is not saying, we look up at me for a moment, that you should stay with a husband that's abusing you, that you should put up with that. That's not what he's saying. Peter's not saying that a woman should in any way, shape, or form feel like a piece of property. In fact, he's speaking into a cultural mandate that would have said they should, and he's redeeming it. He is not saying that submission to a husband, oh, please hear me this, The submission to a husband is a substitute for obedience to God. First and foremost, you are, ladies, you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God, you are under him. And just like we can remain under the government and say back to them that for the prophetic voice, this is wrong, this isn't right, so too can women in marriages say, no, I'm not doing that, I'm not going there, and still remain, quote unquote, subject or under. To, be, uh, to not be subject just to say, I'm leaving. We clear? We clear? Okay. He goes on, Peter does, to continue to teach. What does this really look like? Verse three, verse three. Do not let your adorning or the way that you get dressed up be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning, the way that you're beautiful, be hidden, the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, in God's sight, very precious. Aren't you glad this isn't an issue anymore? So, I'm so glad that we're so beyond this book. I mean, that we would want to find beauty in the way that we look. How archaic, right? And yet, we haven't moved beyond it at all, have we? That this is still a very, very real struggle. Where does our worth come from? Where does beauty originate? What is beautiful? Because you can go to different cultures around the world and they say this is beautiful and that's for different time periods. But what in, the, in, in, in a timeless fashion, what is beautiful? Well, here's what he says. It's an imperishable beauty that Peter wants followers of Jesus to have. That's a really interesting word, this word imperishable, meaning it's not going anywhere. He's used this word twice before in this passage or in this book. The first time, it was in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says this, according to his, and the his here is God's great mercy, he's caused us to be born again, to be awakened to life by the power of the Spirit, the hope of the gospel. This is, he's talking about salvation. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is, say it with me, church, imperishable. The same type of beauty that women you're invited to have. Well, he says it again. He wants you to get this. Since you've been, what? Born again, right? The salvation that you have tasted from Jesus, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Here's what Peter's saying. You want imperishable beauty. It comes from trusting in an unfading salvation, an inner beauty that comes from a gospel conviction. Jesus, I am a child of yours. You loved me. You had mercy on me. You paid the price for me. You've adopted me, redeemed me, and called me as your own. That's what he wants, Peter wants, 
for the wives he's writing to. To not look at your husband and go, aren't, aren't I beautiful? Although I'm not, I'm not down on getting dressed up. I'm not down on big hair. Big hair don't care, right? I am not, I'm okay. He is not saying, that's not what he's saying. Don't ever do your hair. Don't put on makeup. Don't try to look pretty. He's just saying, even when you do, remember where your value comes from. Remember who you are. Remember that you're a child of God and that's where your worth comes from. Ladies, if you wanna be beautiful, glow with the hope of the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus. Please. He says, listen, other beauty is unfading. Anybody wanna say amen to that? Uh, Guys, don't elbow your wife. That's messed up. Do not. I can remember, I can remember looking through my um, <clears throat> parents' wedding album as a kid going, who are these people? <laughs> right? I mean, like, they're really ridiculously good looking. And so I was telling Kelly, I'm like, Kelly, from that day, June 1st, 2002, when we got married, it's all downhill from there. <laughs> and so here's Peter's point. You know this, I know this, we know this. So if that's true, don't build your foundation on that what he says to the ladies he's writing to, to the wives he's writing to. He goes on. He goes on in verse four, and he says this, but let your adorning, let the, let the way that you beautify yourself be with, a, with the hidden person, in the hidden person of the heart, with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. So women, before you hear Peter telling you that you should be quiet, barefoot, and pregnant all the time, Look at the flow of thought. Look at the flow of thought. He said, find your worth and find your value, not in what you look like, but in who you are. And the flow of that, if that happens, you have a quiet spirit. Now, what he doesn't say, what he doesn't say, look up at me for a second, he does not say you have a quiet mouth. (laughs) He doesn't. So here you go. I'm preaching this message with my daughter in mind, okay? And I love this part of it. And I absolutely love to hear my daughter talk. I love to hear what she says. I love to hear the way her mind thinks. I have the same feeling about my wife, Kelly. She's way smarter than me. I would be stupid to say, you need to just be quiet. He's not saying, women, just be quiet, shut your mouth. He's saying, have a quiet spirit. Here's what that means. A quiet spirit does not mean you have nothing to say. It means you have nothing to prove. It means you have nothing to prove. That I am confident, this is what he's saying. He wants women to be confident in who they are in Christ. Not that they don't have anything to say, but they have nothing to prove. I'm a child of the most high king. I want a strong, confident daughter. I married a strong, confident woman. And I want her to look like her mama. And her mama's got something to say, and usually it's pretty valuable, and I would be a moron not to listen. See, this is the type of woman that makes the best kind of wife. See, Peter's delivering freedom and liberty. You can see why women flock to the church. When I can find my value in who I am in Christ, yeah. And my spirit can be quieted by him, not so that I have nothing to say, but that I am absolutely confident and have nothing to prove. good. I think God wants to deliver the same freedom today, whether you're married or not. Now, husbands, here we go. 
So I, my goal is to be an equal opportunity offender today. <laughs> Verse 7, likewise, likewise, husbands, love your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Um, I pointed out in verse one, Peter uses the word likewise to link us back to the previous discussion about being subject to the government and about being subject uh, servants to their masters. Well, he uses that same word, likewise. What's it there for? Well, it's, it's there to tie the discussion about how to be a great husband into the same context. Likewise. And it doesn't say, likewise, husbands be subject. It says, likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding manner. But make no doubt about it. That word links this discussion about husbands back to the overall discussion. It's the same thing that the apostle Paul does in his letter to Ephesus. Look at what he does. He says, submitting to one another. So that's the big picture. We submit not just husbands or wives to the husbands, but we submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Wives, it says, submit. Now, if you have the New American Standard Bible, that word's italicized. Why? Because it's not in the original translation. It's not in the original text. So here's what they did. They applied it right and good, but they applied this idea of submitting to one another back to wives. It would literally read, wives, to your own husbands. This, this submission game is not one-sided. It's mutual for the sake of Christ. It's mutual. If you want to go and read Ephesians chapter 5, see, Paul, I would say Paul calls men to a higher form of submission than he does to women. Hey, it's women respect your husbands, and husbands die for your wives. <laughs> die for them. Give your life for them, which is a higher form of laying yourself down and saying, I'm with you and I'm for you. Submission is a mutual process of respect and love that both the husband and the wife enter into when they enter into covenant marriage. Does it look differently for a husband than it does for a wife? Yes. I'm not talking about androgyny here. I'm not trying to blur the lines between being male and female. None of that. I'm just saying they both have a call to submission, and it looks very, very different. Here's the way I'll say it for us. Husbands, live reverently under Jesus and lovingly towards your wife. Verse 7, husbands, live with your wives. And I read that going, who else am I going to live with? Right? I mean, so that's a great question. I'm glad I asked that because in the culture, they had other options, right? So for Peter to say, husbands, live with your wives, the husbands are like, whoa, 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 what? Live with our wives. I mean, Apollondris, the Greek poet and scholar said it like this. He said, we have mistresses for pleasure, prostitutes for daily sexual service of our bodies, and wives to bear us legitimate children and to be faithful guardians of our households. So that's who Peter's writing to. Husbands, live with your wives. See, Christian morality encouraged monogamy and marital fidelity. That look, up, look up at me for a second. It's a great thing. This is the air we breathe in large part. 
Now, that's, that air is eroding, unfortunately, but it's the air we breathe. We go, yeah, well, exactly. They would have gone, no way. That's totally um, opposite from the way that God intended it to be. Men, you should just be off and doing your thing. And he goes, no, 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 no. This is, this is not hierarchy. This is partnership. You're supposed to care for the woman that you live with. You're supposed to care for your wife. You're supposed to be in tune with how she feels. You're supposed to be invested. So he says, live with your wife in an understanding way. Literally in the Greek, it says, living with one's wife knowledgeably. One of the greatest mysteries the world has ever seen, right? I mean, <laughs> the men are going, teach us, Paulson. Wow. I, I ran across this, um, this meme on Facebook the other last week. And here's, here's so just a few tips for you. How to live with your wife in, in an understanding way. Five deadly terms used by women. So, guys, these are helpful. Fine. This is the word a woman uses to end an argument when she knows she is right and you need to be quiet. <laughs> Two, nothing. Means something and you need to be worried. <laughs> Go ahead. This is a dare. Not permission. Do not do it. Whatever is a woman's way of saying, you'll pay for this later. <laughs> That's okay. She's thinking long and hard on, the, on when and how you will pay for this mistake. <laughs> Bonus word, wow. This is not a compliment. She's amazed that one person could be so stupid. Let's close in prayer. You're welcome. Uh, Here's what Peter says. <laughs> Here's what Peter says, living in an understanding way. So, so the, the, the command is pursue, guys, 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 pursue understanding before you seek to be understood. Now, can we be, wouldn't that transform marriages? If as men we set this cadence, this pace of our marriage where our goal is, I want to be, I want to understand where you're coming from before I want you to understand what's going on in me. Here's just three quick ways I typically substitute understanding for other things. I typically, under, uh, I typically substitute understanding for assuming. For assuming. I assume everything's okay. Rather than, see, understanding's sort of messy, isn't it? Because I gotta dig in and I've gotta have hard conversations and I've gotta be honest and I've gotta, I have to care if I'm not doing a good job loving my wife in the way she needs to be loved. Understand, to live in an understanding way. I typically deviate to convincing rather than understanding. I've been married 13 years and I still can't get it through my thick head that some problems need to be expressed but not solved. Some problems are just, this is what happened at work and my mind goes to, well, you could do this and this and this and have a conversation with them and what are they doing? And I can see my wife starting to shrink back and really all she wants is just to be heard and that that would be validation enough. I also substitute understanding for ignoring. I know there's an issue, but I also know that it's my issue. And so I'm just gonna ignore it as long as I can. The calling's high, isn't it, guys? At first glance, it doesn't seem like it, but you can understand in a culture where this wasn't commonplace that 
it would be earth-shattering and groundbreaking, and it was, it was. Pursue understanding before you seek to be understood. Here's the way he goes on. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Stop. In light of this patriarchal culture, you could see why Peter would write this. Women don't own property. Women have very little rights in the public sphere. Women were, so, so two lines of thinking as far as the commentary goes. One is a lot of commentators, almost all of them will point out, well, a woman was weaker physically. Now, before you challenge me to an arm wrestling match after the service, okay? And if like Rhonda Rossi or whatever her name is is here, I do not want to MMA fight you, okay? <laughs> He's speaking generally. And we can agree and go, generally, there, are there some outliers? Sure, but that's generally true. In addition, women were not, didn't have access to religious education, and so there was this just oppression on women in the culture. And so what Peter's saying is, as a man, you have advantages and disadvantages that your wife doesn't have. Do not use them to oppress her. Use your power to elevate her. Honor her as the quote-unquote weaker vessel. This is his instruction to the church. And it still remains true today, doesn't it, guys? While it remains a fact that women continue to get physically stronger, yes, they do, it also remains a fact that domestic violence is still a huge issue. That over, that over 33% of women will report at some point, or not report, but experience at some point in their life abuse that's, can we just agree that's not okay? That's not okay? And so Peter's instruction is, men, don't use your power to lord it over people. Use your power that you have to raise others up. Don't use it to elevate yourself. Use it to lift others up. Because, friends, this is what our God is like. He doesn't use his power to dominate. He uses his power to elevate. He doesn't want to be served as Mark says in his gospel, but he comes to, to serve and he picks up the towel and he loves and he, the downtrodden, he embraces his enemies. He loves, he comes alongside those who are dead in their sin and he raises them up to life. He doesn't dominate. He uses his power to love. Look up at me, guys. Look up at me. This is the way of Jesus this is the way of Jesus, not to hold people under our thumb, but to lift them up that they might flourish and have life. As the weaker vessel going on, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, husbands and wives, keep in mind, your spouse is a co-heir with you of the life that you will inherit for all eternity from Jesus himself. Keep in mind, keep in mind that. Now look up at me for a second. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna read this to you. I wanna get it right, but here, here, you need to hear this. We need to hear this. I need to hear this. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Can get an amen? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. If we are going to prepare well for heaven, the ground should be level in our marriages and homes as well. Right? We, we might be really uncomfortable in heaven if it's not. 
See, it's about partnership, not hierarchy. And I love the way, I love the way that Peter puts this because here's what he's saying, is it's only when I keep in mind my spouse's eternal destiny that I will treat them appropriately. No doubt there are different roles in a marriage. Absolutely, yes and amen. Don't hear me saying anything other. There are different roles in a marriage, but one is not better than the other. One is not more needed than the other. They are both present. They're both needed. They're both here. And when I keep in mind that my wife, Kelly, will stand before the throne of God in glory, I treat her differently. I treat her differently. When I remember that she's a child of the most high king, I interact with her differently. When I remember that she's loved and adopted by the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he goes, hey, she's mine. She's mine. My calling is very, very different as a husband. Here's the way Tim Keller says it, and I will land the plane here. He says, within this Christian vision for marriage, here is what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and get a glimpse of the person God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you and it excites me. I wanna be a part of that. I wanna partner with you and God in the journey that you are taking to his throne and when we get there, I will look at you in all of your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like that. I got glimpses of it on earth. But now, look at you. And see, friends, if we keep this in mind, we are co-heirs of the gospel. The inherent outplay of that is we start to treat each other differently. And when we start to treat each other differently, whether you say anything or not, the world takes notice. And marriage is one of God's greatest tools to say, this is how I love you. This is what I'm like. And when followers of Jesus have marriages that are distinctively different, respectful, loving, and flourish, people might just see your conduct and glorify your father in heaven. Some of you are struggling today with your marriage. I listed some books on the back that might be a help to you. Maybe you grab two copies and you walk through it. There's a marriage retreat coming up. I want to encourage you, if you're struggling, to sign up for that today before you leave. If you're struggling, here, here's my here, two words. Do something. Do something. It's way too important to just stay on the Titanic and sink with it. Do something. God wants your marriage to flourish more than you do because it points people to him. He will walk with you and help you and so will we because we believe that marriage is a canvas for the gospel and Jesus is worth all the praise and honor we could ever give him with our lives. Let's pray. In fact, will you stand up with me? Just open your hands with me, uh, just palms to the sky. Before we go running out of here, I just wanna ask, Father, would you, Spirit, would you, Jesus, would you drive into our soul the truth that you want us to hear? 
if there's ways we're operating contrary to your design, would you show us, Father? For the husbands in this room, I pray that they would take up that mantle to live with their wives in a way that's understanding, that they would lift them up, that they would honor, love, and as Apostle Paul says, that they would, we would lay down our lives for our wives. And Father, for the wives in this room, especially those in the context Peter's writing to who uh, have husbands who aren't yet followers of Christ, I pray, would you encourage them today? I just speak that word over them to be, that they be encouraged that the way that they live is pointing people to the God that they love, especially within their marriage. Would you encourage them? Would you strengthen them? Would you buoy them up? Would you give them the power to continue to endure and to keep going? Would you remind them where their value and worth comes from, not with outward beauty, but the beauty of a soul enamored with the work of Jesus? Oh, mom. Father, would you remind us all that we live with this imperishable seed within us, the hope of the gospel, that we're new people in you. And C.S. Lewis says, no mere mortals. And so, would you help us, those of us that are married, to honor our spouse as no mere mortal? Would you help us, everybody that we see, would you help us to honor them as no mere mortal, but as somebody who is loved by the King of kings and the Lord of lords? And I pray that the way that we live would point people back to the God that we love. And it's in his name, in Jesus' name, that we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.